Please remain standing for the reading of uh, God's Word. Our text this morning is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. This is what God says. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoner, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. He was born William Claude Dukenfield, but we knew him as W.C. Fields. He was called a giant of a clown. He made a career out of making people laugh at things he hated, like children, marriage, dogs, the IRS, and nincompoops in general. When he was asked uh, one time whether he liked children, he said, of course I like the little tots, if they're well done. <laughs> and his views on marriage were equally outrageous. He believed in tying the marriage knot, but only if the knot was around the woman's neck. And he also believed in women's clubs, but only after all other means of persuasion had failed. With regard to the IRS, he said, the government fixes it so that you have the choice between, one, starving to death because you don't have an income high enough to pay taxes, or two, making an income that is high enough to pay taxes and then starving to death after you've paid your taxes. He was generally associated with comedy. But his real life was more of a tragedy. His mother was an alcoholic, and his father beat him regularly. After one of those beatings, he finally left home for good at the age of 11. He had to turn to crime on the streets of Philadelphia to feed and to clothe himself. His own marriage failed almost from the very beginning, and even though his wife would not give him a divorce, he remained estranged from her and their only child for the rest of his life. He never was able to establish any kind of a close or long-term friendship with anyone. And like his mother before him, he became an alcoholic, and that's what finally killed him. His last line, the epitaph that he chose for himself was, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Now he meant that as a joke. But I wonder if, if uh, W.C. Fields wasn't also expressing a deep-seated longing for something that he never seemed to have experienced in his life, namely brotherly love. Philadelphia, you see, is Greek for brotherly love. It's the word that we find in our text this morning. 
And I wonder how many other W.C. Fields are out there in a cold, unloving world who would also rather be in Philadelphia if they only knew where to find it. Now, one place that W.C. Fields did not look for brotherly love, or if he did, he didn't find it, was in the Church of Jesus Christ. Because the Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be a place of brotherly love. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said to his disciples, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Notice how other people will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not because we have a fish symbol on our cars. It's not because we wear a necklace with a cross on it. It's not because we wear a t-shirt that has John 3.16 printed on it. And it's not because we carry a big Bible or the most recent Bible app on the internet. The way people will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ is by the love that we show one another. The church should be a place of brotherly love. And the writer of Hebrews says to these people, keep on loving each other as brothers. Now, what are the characteristics of this brotherly love that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? There are three of them. The first characteristic of this brotherly love is that it brings strangers into our homes. Notice that brotherly love is not about how we feel about one another. Brotherly love does something for others. When the Israelites in Exodus chapter 2 called out to God because of their groaning, it tells us there that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and then he did something for the Israelites. He delivered them from their bondage. To remember people, or to not forget people, the way it's used in our text this morning, means to think about them with a view of doing something for them. It's not the thought that counts. As Bob Beatty has said frequently over the years, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Brotherly love doesn't just feel a certain way about others. It does something for others. It brings strangers into our homes. When it says to entertain strangers, it translates literally love strangers and refers to showing them hospitality, to bringing them into our homes. You know, when, when new people visit a church, they shouldn't have to work their way into a church. I've heard people say that. Well, they just haven't made the effort to uh, become one of us. That's not their responsibility. 
When new people come to the church, it's our responsibility to make them feel as though they are wanted and needed. And being friendly to people at church is not the same thing as bringing them into our homes. It's not the same thing as brotherly love. We're friendly to people at the grocery store. We're friendly to people at work. We're friendly uh, to people in restaurants. We're friendly to people here in the church. But friendliness is no substitute for brotherly love. Friendliness only gets us so far, and it's really not very far. You know, when you see the same people week after week in church, and you say, hi, how are you, good to see you, and then that's all you do for them until you see them next week and say the same things, that's, that's friendliness, but it's not brotherly love, and it doesn't take us very far in our relationships with one another. I know this from, from experience. Uh, uh, the Breed Loves have, have been coming to church here now for uh, nearly a year, maybe more than a year. And it wasn't until last month when they invited us to their home that I finally got to know the names of their children. Or at least most of them. Don't, <laughs> don't test me on this. <laughs> But even if I know eight or nine out of the 11, that's, that's better than it was before. But I never would have gotten to that stage in our relationship if they hadn't invited me into their home. By the same token, the Gorders have been here even longer, and I've never been able to figure out the difference between Preston and Colin. Uh, and they came up to our house for a meal, and I got it figured out. They were wearing different colored shirts. <laughs> But our relationship improved on the basis of having them into our home. I feel like we know them better. And hopefully they know us better as well. And this makes the possibility of us growing in love greater and greater. James Dobson had a very appropriate remark to make on this matter of bringing strangers into our home. In an article that he wrote uh, some years ago, he said, I am convinced that Americans are desperate for a sense of community. Eventually, many of these lonely people search for fellowship in a church setting, but what happens when they arrive at the sanctuary? Often they encounter busy, harassed people who are focused on their own needs. Now certainly, Christian people have been trained to be friendly to newcomers, but their response is superficial. Sure glad you came today will not suffice for follow-up phone calls and invitations to dinner and genuine, lasting friendships. That's why visitors often attend services for a while, but eventually conclude we're not needed here and just fade away. I wish I could convince my fellow Christians that the most productive form of outreach is right under our noses. Passing out tracts and knocking on doors have their place in spreading the gospel, but nothing links families to Christ like linking them to the established community of faith. That's why Sunday is an exhausting day for Shirley and me. We work hard to reach those whom we feel need our involvement. Sometimes it's a couple standing alone in a Sunday school class, Perhaps they've attended the church for five years or more, but the social awkwardness is evident on their faces. 
Even though we attend a friendly church, I occasionally become irritated by the lack of dedicated workers in this critical task of caring for other people. It is, in my opinion, the most important family ministry a church can implement. Now, it's true that showing hospitality, bringing strangers into our home, is a requirement for certain people. It's a requirement, for instance, for elders in a church to show this kind of brotherly love. But the command that we find here in Hebrews 13 isn't just for a particular group of people, it's for everybody. Because if everybody's not involved in this kind of ministry, of bringing strangers into their homes, it's inevitable that some people are going to fall between the cracks. And everybody can do this if indeed we are practicing brotherly love and not just thinking about ourselves. I remember when I was in seminary and we were visiting different churches and nobody wanted anything to do with seminary students because they're only there for three years and uh, they're not, you know, they're preaching in other places uh, as a general rule. They don't get real involved in the church and they're just not worth putting much effort into. And then we visited this one church that was beside a garbage dump out in Clinton. Uh, Glenn Hollingsworth probably knows where I'm talking about. And the very first Sunday we were there, this young family with five little kids invited us home for lunch after church. Well, we were pretty excited. That was the first time anybody had done that uh, for us since we had arrived in Jackson, Mississippi. But when we got there, the house was a disaster. And they had not planned on having anybody home for lunch. And so we had to wait nearly all afternoon for them to get the kids settled down to prepare the meal. And I was impressed. I was impressed that they cared more about us and spending time with us than they did about what we might think about them as a family and about their housekeeping, and about their efficiency in entertaining us. They cared about us. They showed us brotherly love, and it's no accident that we stayed at that church for the whole time that we were at seminary. We used to have a family here in this church when we were at the other location. They were in their 80s, the McGanks. Some of you will remember them. They lived in a tiny, tiny little house. They didn't have a dining room. They didn't even have what you would call an eat-in kitchen. But they had people over every Sunday. And not just other old people like them. Uh, they would have families over. They had us over with our three kids. And I, and I can still remember that to open the oven, we all had to get up from the table so we could pull it back so she could open the cover. Tiny house, little resources for, quote, entertaining but they showed brotherly love. They cared about us, and they cared about other people. And then in our church in Nebraska, there was a couple there that still had kids at home. They both worked full-time, but every Sunday, they had 10 to 15 college students into their home for lunch. Why? Because college students are kind of like seminary students. They're not going to be there long. They're not going to really contribute much to the church. And so people just kind of overlook them 
They don't really matter. But these people cared. And they showed brotherly love to these college students week after week. And we visited back there uh, two, two years ago, three years ago, and they were still doing the same thing. Bringing strangers into their home, showing them hospitality. And we all have the opportunity to do the same thing, and we can, and who knows? We might even be entertaining angels, is what the text says. It's happened before. It happened to Abraham. It happened to Gideon. It happened to Manoah, the father of Samson. You invite someone into your home, and who knows? It might be an angel. It might be the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But in any case, it's important that we show brotherly love in the church by bringing strangers into our home. Brotherly love doesn't just feel a certain way about other people. It does something for them. The second characteristic of brotherly love is that it goes out to people who cannot be with us. And specifically, the writer of Hebrews mentions prisoners, people in prison. They can't come to church on a Sunday morning. And they're not going to experience brotherly love unless we go to them. When I think of prison ministry, of course, I think of Chuck Colson and prison fellowship. And of course, Chuck Colson could identify with those people in prisons because he had been there himself, which is exactly the way we're supposed to identify with these people. Probably the, the people that the writer of Hebrews had in mind were people who had been imprisoned for their faith, but we're, we can't be absolutely sure about that. And there are people in prison who do become Christians after going to prison. And how are they going to experience brotherly love unless we go to them? I know our sister church, Covenant, has had a ministry to jails and prisons for a number of years now. And in fact, uh, Keith uh, Van Inc., uh, Joy and Glenn's uh, father, uh, also has a ministry called Metanoia that corresponds with prisoners in jail. In other words, they send them Bible lessons and they send them back. But through that process, Keith has gotten to know quite a few of those people and he's shared some of the letters that he has gotten from them and how much that means that someone is going to where they are to show them that they care, to include them in our fellowship, to give them brotherly love, the brotherly love that they are so desperately longing for. And another group of people who are very much like prisoners are people who are in nursing homes. Um, I remember when I first became a pastor, nursing homes were really horrible places. At least the majority of them were. Now they're really pretty nice. But once you go to a nursing home, it's easy for people to forget you. A lot of these people are elderly or they're incapacitated in some way or another. They can't drive. Unless we go to them, they're not going to experience brotherly love either. This is what one of these ladies uh, wrote to a friend. She said, I am still terribly lonely. It's the evenings 
The club closes at 4.30 p.m. and there's nothing but long, empty hours until bedtime. I've heard so many old people say, there's nothing for us now. You've got to eat to sort of keep alive, but there's nothing. The time is so long, the evenings, the weekends. I've heard several people say, I don't care how soon the end comes for me. I know lots of people, but that isn't the same as a close friend. About a year ago, I guess it's been a year and a half now, a close friend of ours died who had been in a nursing home. Some of you knew him. He used to be a member here at the church, Jim Mosier. Died uh, at a very young age. First suffered a stroke and ended up in a nursing home for probably about uh, six months. He was in uh, the nursing home at Greystone up in Cabot, so it was on the way home for me and I would stop in and he loved uh, limeades from Sonic and I would always stop and get him a limeade. Um, when I visited with him and I happened to visit him on the very last night of his life and I was commenting on what a great place it was and really it is the facilities are, are just wonderful it doesn't have the smell or the feel of a nursing home but he said Steve yeah he said it's a nice place he said, but you wouldn't want to be here. He said, you wouldn't believe how quickly people forget about you. Now remember, he was only there for six months. And at first, people had gone to see him regularly. And I'll grant you, it was Cabot. Most of his friends are here in Little Rock, so it meant taking a chunk of time out of your schedule to go and see him. But towards the end, very few people were seeing him on a regular basis. And he was lonely. And he didn't see any reason to continue living. Now, we didn't have any clue that he was going to die so soon. But the next day, he was gone. And in a sense, I felt relief for him. Because I know from experience that it would only get worse. The longer you're out of the public eye, the more people forget you. And this was a man who was starved for brotherly love. One of the things that I was very encouraged to hear uh, this last week was that our Vacation Bible School people are trying to work out a way that they can transport the kids from the Dorcas house over here for Vacation Bible School. These are people who are living in a shelter, who are the victims of domestic violence or drug or alcohol abuse. Most of them don't have cars. They're not going to experience the brotherly love the church can give unless someone goes to them and brings them here. And so I know Amber and Daryl and I don't know who else are working on trying to get this organized so that they can bring those kids over there. That's what brotherly love does. It doesn't just feel a certain way about others. It does something for others. It goes out to those who can't be with us. And the third characteristic of brotherly love is that it stands with those who are persecuted for their faith. It stands with those who are being mistreated. Now probably there's nobody here this morning that's in that category, at least that I'm aware of. 
I know I don't feel like I'm being mistreated by anyone uh, for my faith, but there are people in our society who are. I remember when uh, we were trying to pass the unborn child amendment here in Arkansas and some of us went out to try to get signatures to get that on the ballot. This was back in the 1980s. And I remember how hateful people were to us for doing what we were trying to do, which is to come down on the side of the sanctity of life. But occasionally, people would come up to us and say, good job, I'm glad you're doing this. And that made all the difference in the world. At other times, people would drive by and they'd honk and they'd give you a thumbs up. And that made you feel real good. God doesn't call all of us to be on the front lines of these kinds of issues. But more and more, we're going to have to be involved to take a stand for the sanctity of life, to take a stand for the sanctity of marriage, to stand against immorality in our country in the various forms that uh, it comes in. We're going to have to do that. And if we're not actually involved, at least we can be involved in encouraging the people that are. We can pray for them and we can encourage them. Those are two powerful tools to demonstrate brotherly love to these people. William Barclay said this about encouragement. He said, one of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. It is easy to laugh at men's ideals. It is easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. It is easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such a word. Brotherly love doesn't just feel a certain way towards others. It does something for others. It stands up for those who are being persecuted for their faith. We can pray for these people. We can encourage them and in that way demonstrate our brotherly love. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book, I forget which one, but in it he tells the story of running into an old Marine Corps buddy of his who was not a Christian when they left the Marine Corps, but who had since become a Christian. And Swindoll talked to him about his spiritual growth, his spiritual journey. And there was one comment the man made that really bothered Swindoll, and it was this. The guy said, Chuck, the only thing I miss talking about his new spiritual life and being in the church. Chuck, the only thing I miss is that old, is that old fellowship all the guys in our outfit used to have down at the tavern on base. Man, we'd sit around, laugh, tell stories, drink a few beers, and really let our hair down. It was great. I just haven't found anything to take the place of that great time we used to enjoy. I ain't got nobody to admit my faults to, to have them put their arms around me and tell me I'm still okay. This is a Christian, but he's a Christian who had not, at that point anyhow, found brotherly love 
in the church. He is someone who had not found the fellowship of other believers. He had not experienced what all Christians should experience, the brotherly love that Jesus said would be the sign that we are his disciples. I wonder how many other W.C. Fields are out there in a cold, unloving world who would rather be in Philadelphia if they only knew where to find it. What a, what a tragedy it would be if they came here looking for it and didn't find it. It can happen. It does happen. But I don't know about you. I would rather be in Philadelphia. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we are no different than other people down through the ages. Father, we tend to think more of ourselves than we do of others, to become caught up in our own affairs. Father, give us the kind of love that you had for us, the kind of love that you do have for us. And enable us, Father, to share that with one another. Father, that people might know that we are indeed disciples of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.